We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi And now, Mike Hickson All of us want to go to heaven Matter of fact, I think I could say that most everyone I know has a strong desire to go to heaven. We talk a lot about heaven. We pray about heaven. We think about heaven. We read about heaven. We even sing about heaven. And ultimately, one day, we hope and pray to be in the presence of God and to spend eternity in that beautiful city called heaven. I want to begin today by, first of all, talking about the fact that heaven is a guaranteed city. It is a guaranteed city. You know, there are a lot of people in our world today that do business and they guarantee their product or their service. When it comes to heaven, we ought to believe that it is a guaranteed city. It's not pie in the sky. It's not mere wishful thinking. But rather, heaven is a reality. And so I want to begin by talking about the reassurances of heaven. There are two things I want to call attention to as we think about the guarantees of this city. As we con- contemplate or begin to try to comprehend the reassurances of this city. I would, first of all, call attention to the testimony of a saint, and that would be John, the apostle. And John is writing by inspiration. And so in Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, listen, if you would, to what John writes. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God." And then drop down, if you would, and look at verse 9. He said, Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven, last plagues, came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. John here is writing by inspiration. And John is vouching for believers of all ages that when we talk about heaven, we're talking about something that is ironclad. The reality of heaven, and we'll talk about the reality of heaven in just a moment. But as you think about the testimony of a saint, and then couple with that the testimony of the Savior. Do you remember in John chapter 14, Jesus, of course, was about to depart 
and go back home to be with the Father. He would ultimately be crucified and then rise from the dead and ascend back to heaven. But he said to the apostles in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. He said, Believe also in me. And then he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. He said, If it were not so, I would have told you. So we think about the testimony of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you drop down and listen, if you would, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, John said that he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He said to me, Write, listen to him, for these words are true and faithful. Whatever God says about heaven, it is true and it is faithful. You can bank on it. You can believe it. The credibility of first the saint and then the credibility of the Savior. And so reassurances about heaven. But then what about the reality of heaven? The Bible talks about the reality of this final abode. I want to begin by first of all suggesting that heaven is a promised city. Secondly, it is a prepared city. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, a passage I mentioned a moment ago, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But he said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there, he said, you may be also. Jesus here affirming for us that heaven is a promised city, not just a promised city, but a prepared city. Do you remember in Hebrews chapter 11? The Bible speaks of that great patriarch of the past, a man by the name of Abraham. And the Bible says he looked for a city who has, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. They desired a heavenly city. And so we too look forward to this beautiful city. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see in our study. First, we think about it's a guaranteed city, but then secondly, it is a glorious city. Heaven is not just a guaranteed city, but it is a glorious city. I want to begin by, first of all, talking about the source of heaven. We understand that God is the one that created the heavens and the earth, did He not? The Bible, you remember, affirms in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It was God who spoke this world into existence. Well, by the same token, God is the architect, the builder of this beautiful city that we call heaven. And so, listen, if you would, again, to what John said. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from whom? From God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So here is this beautiful city that has been prepared by Almighty God. And so the source of the city, but what about the sites in the city? The Bible tells us, number one, it is a great city. I, like many of you, have had the opportunity to travel to various cities all across this country. I have been to cities like San Francisco, 
Los Angeles, San Diego. I've had the opportunity to be in Chicago. I've visited Miami, Florida. I've been to Atlanta. I've had the opportunity to go to a lot of what we would call, quote unquote, great cities. But none can, none can compare to the city called heaven. Listen again to what John said. Pick up, with, pick up with me, if you would, in verse 10. John said, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me, listen to him, the great city. The greatness of this city is unparalleled. There's nothing that we can compare to heaven itself. Now again, we talk about some of the great cities all across this country. And I have no doubt there are some great places to live. We talk about where we live. It's a beautiful place. But it can't compare to the great city called heaven. Not only is it a great city, the Bible describes it as a gorgeous city. There are some scenic places around this country, aren't there? I had the opportunity to grow up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And there was a favorite saying in Chattanooga, and the saying was, Sea Rock City, because of its beauty and its splendor. And there are some places in this country that are breathtaking. They're beautiful. If you have been to the Blue Ridge Mountains, if you've stood at the, if you have stood at the shores of the Atlantic or Pacific, if you've been to the Gulf, you know the beauty of those places. And there are some really scenic and treasured places all across this country, but none can compare to the beauty of heaven. The Bible in Revelation chapter 21 uses what we would call accommodative language to impress upon us the beauty of this great city. And the beauty of this city is, as I would say, unparalleled. You just can't imagine how beautiful. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 22, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb were its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. It's a great city, but it's a, it's a gorgeous city. So we talk about the source of heaven, the source of this city, the sights in this city. What about the sounds? What will the sounds be in that beautiful city called heaven? Back in Revelation chapter 5, we have a picture of the Lamb's throne room. And they began to sing to the Lamb who was seated upon that throne. In Revelation chapter 15, we read about those who sing the song of Moses, a song of deliverance. Can you just imagine all of God's singers getting home one day and lifting our voices in rhythmic melody unto God, the Creator, the Redeemer, the Sustainer of us all? I mean, to think about what we'll see and what we will hear just can't begin to wrap my mind around it. And so, 
We talk about this beautiful, beautiful city. A city that has as its source the Lord. The sights of this city, unbelievable. The sounds in this city, incredible. To think that one day those of us who belong to the family of God will be there. We'll all be there together forevermore. Hard to contemplate, isn't it? So, it is a guaranteed city. It is a glorious city. It is a city that, quite frankly, I look forward to seeing one day. And I know you do as well. Think with me, if you would, thirdly. It is a glad city. We talk about heaven being a guaranteed city, a glorious city, but it will be a glad city. And there's some reasons why, from Scripture, heaven will be a place filled with gladness. Let me just share with you some of the reasons why heaven will be a glad city. I want to begin by, first of all, talking about the fact that it will be a place of reunions. There are some folks that have gone on before us, and I have no doubt there are some people that will be there that we look forward to seeing again. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 25, the Bible talks about a man by the name of Abraham? I mentioned him a moment ago. Abraham lived to be 175 years of age, and the Bible says that he died at a good old age, an old man, full of years. And then in verse 8, Moses said, speaking of Abraham, and he was gathered to his people. One day, we will be together again forevermore. And we talk a lot about heaven. As I said a moment ago, we sing about heaven, we think about heaven, we pray about heaven, we long for heaven. But to know that one day all of us will be in heaven together forevermore. The great reunions that will take place. The people that we have lost. To be reunited with them. To see them. To be with them. It'll be a, it'll be a place of place of great reunion but there's a second thing not only will it be a place of great reunions but it will be a place of rejoicing we will rejoice in that heavenly city because we'll be home won't we ever been away from home for an extended period of time and after a while, you begin to long to go home, to be, to just be back in your familiar surroundings. Someone has said there's no place like home, and there isn't. And I understand, I really believe that those of us that live here in northern Mississippi, we're blessed to live in one of the most beautiful places in the world, to live in a scenic city, a beautiful city, a great city. We've got a lot of blessings. But not like heaven and one day we will be together forevermore listen if you would to verse 3 of Revelation chapter 21 
John said, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them. And they shall be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. In verse 3 of chapter 22, John said, Speaking of this heavenly city, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 9, he speaks of showing John the bride, the Lamb's, the lamb's wife. That's the church. In other words, what John is saying is the family of God, those of us that belong to the body of Christ, one day will be with the Lord forevermore. What a great blessing. But I would also suggest it will be a city of refreshing. It will be a refreshing place because everything that's in heaven will be so different, so superior to the world in which we live. Look, if you would, at verse 4. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, here's what John said. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Can you imagine being in a place where there will be absolutely no more sadness? I mean, you think about how in this world, in this life, it's a roller coaster. You've got good days and bad days. You've got joys and frustrations. There are successes and failures. There are happy times, and are there not sad times? Yes, there are. Sad, sad times. The Bible says not only will God wipe away every tear from their eyes, and I would ask you this question. In the last couple of hours, how many people do you think in this city have shed tears? What about over the last week? How many people have shed tears? Not tears of joy, but tears of frustration. Tears of sorrow. Tears of sadness. John said, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And then he said, there shall be, listen to him, no more death. First, no more sadness. Secondly, no more separation. I can't imagine being in a place where we don't have to say goodbye to our loved ones any longer. A week ago, a very close friend of mine called me. And he and I, we've known each other for a long time. His name's Robert. When I began full-time preaching. I went to work with a congregation in the Nashville area, Old Hickory, and I was the associate preacher, and he was the pulpit preacher. And I can't tell you how many things that I learned from Robert. He and I, we grew extremely close through the years. And he's been a friend, a teacher, a mentor, He's been so many things to me throughout the years. And he's been battling cancer recently, stage four. So he called me a week ago yesterday and left me a voicemail. And he said, I really need to talk to you. So I called him. And he said, the doctors have put me under hospice care. He said that 
we're at the end of the road. We've done all we can do. The cancer has been stopped in many ways, but damage has been done to his liver. And so one of his kidneys has cancer, and so the liver is compromising the kidney, and there's a good chance that he will lose his battle to renal failure. But the phone grew awkwardly silent for a minute, and as I sat on the other end of the line, with tears, he asked me, would you preach my, ser my funeral service? I wasn't ready for that. I'm not ready for that. So I went to see him on Tuesday. And we sat in his den with his two daughters and his wife. We laughed and we talked. We reminisced about old times. And during the course of our time together, we talked about heaven, what it'll be like, what it will be like when we step out into eternity, the fact that we'll go home to be with one another. I looked at his daughters, and they were both crying, but it wasn't a sad, wasn't a sad setting, but rather I think it was a, a glad setting in the sense that he knows where he's going. And here's what he said to me. Here's what really struck me. In talking about leaving this earth, he said, it's all about faith in his blood. I got to thinking about that. I said, you know what? He's on to something. Do you remember in Romans chapter 3, Paul said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He said, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. Here's what Robert was saying. Based on the blood of Christ, and the fact that the blood of Christ is what puts us in a covenant relationship with God, when we step out into eternity, we have hope, do we not? Through faith in His blood, we know, we know, we can go home and be with God forevermore. So, no sadness, no more separations. The Lord willing, I'll be conducting a funeral service tomorrow for Larry Matthews. Barbara's here today. I look forward to the day I don't have to conduct funerals anymore. I've had enough. And if you want to hate somebody, hate the devil for what he's done to this world and what he's done to the human family, and the suffering and the sadness and the sorrow and the separations. If you want to hate somebody with a perfect hatred, hate the devil, because he's the cause of all of this. So, no more sadness, no more separations, and then he said, no more sorrow, nor crying, and then he said, there shall be no more pain. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about suffering. There are some of you here today, you're suffering. I know you are. And you're hurting. You're hurting physically. You're hurting mentally. You're hurting emotionally. And every single day upon planet Earth, it is a battle. It is a battle to make it to the end of the day. It's a battle to the finish line. 
what I want you to know, there's coming a day when all of this is over. Listen to him. For the former things have passed away. Gone. Done. Don't you look forward to that? The frailties of life. And yet John is saying, it's a better day coming. It's a better place coming. And I hope and pray that one day that you will be in that place called heaven. I want to read for you something as we close today. I think it's a great letter. And it was written to a preacher in the state of California who had announced that he was going to be preaching on heaven the following Sunday. So he received this letter, and here's what the letter says. Next Sunday, you're going to talk about heaven. I'm interested in that land because I have held a clear title to a bit of property there for over 50 years. I did not buy it. It was given to me without price, but the donor purchased it for me at a tremendous sacrifice. I'm not holding it for speculation. It's not a vacant lot. For more than a half century, I've been sending up materials to that great architect of the universe who's been building a home for me which will never need remodeling or repairing because it will fit me perfectly. It will never grow old. Termites cannot undermine its foundations, for it rests upon the rock of ages. Fire cannot destroy it. Floods cannot wash it away. No locks or bolts will ever be placed on the doors, for no robber or thief can enter my dwelling place. Now almost completed and ready for me to enter, I will live there eternally without fear of being rejected. There is a valley of deep shadow between the place where, it, where I now live and that place to which I am going. I cannot reach my home in that city without passing through this valley. But I'm not afraid because the best friend I have ever had went through that valley long, long ago and drove away all the dread and gloom. He has stuck with me through thick and thin since I became acquainted with him over 50 years ago. I hope to hear your sermon Sunday, but I have no assurance that I will. My ticket to heaven has no date mark for my journey, no return coupon, no permit for baggage. Yes, I'm ready to go. If I don't see you Sunday, I'll meet you someday. All I could add to that is well said, well said. In closing today, could I ask you a question? Is heaven your home? Is that where you want to spend eternity? I know you do. I'm convinced every single person here wants to go to heaven. We all want to, we all want to be there. I didn't mention this in the lesson. I could have. We talk about the size of this great city. And the Bible tells us in verse 16, the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its breadth. He measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. 1,500 miles in every direction. All he's saying is, there's room for you. There's room for you. Is your ticket punched? If you're not a Christian, here's what you need to do to go to heaven. You need to believe Jesus is the Son of God. Because without that, Jesus said, where I am, you cannot come. And then if you would be willing to repent, that is, turn away from a life of sin. Jesus said, I tell you, 
except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. And then if you will confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is the Son of God, and be baptized into Christ, all of your sins will be washed away. You will live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Here's what I want you to know. When you obey the gospel and you begin living a Christian life, if you seek to the best of your ability to walk in harmony with the will of God, then you, like Paul, can say, we know that if the earthly house, this tabernacle, this tent, this body be dissolved, he said, we have a body not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. One day, one day, we'll all be together. If you're here tonight, or rather today, and your life's not what it ought to be, you're a child of God, but you're not faithful. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. And we know that God will abundantly pardon, 1 John 1, verse 9. So we close today by encouraging you if you're not heaven-bound, make it right today. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.